We want a world in which life outcomes aren't accidents of birth, where everybody can live in a basic degree of dignity, but most importantly, a world without exploitation of person by person. The idea of a worker state isn't the goal. The goal is a society in which there is no more classes. There's no bosses and workers. There's just the emancipated people. A world where everybody can reach their full potential. The real question is, how can we achieve that? And I would agree that a worker's state isn't necessarily the end goal. But I would argue that you need a worker's state and the end of the capitalist state in order to begin the process of dismantling classes. So I would say that socialism actually begins where capitalism ends. That America will never be a socialist country. 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 Attitudes are changing towards socialism. We believe the only solution is the establishment of a workers' government on a socialist program. Thanks for joining us once again for another edition of our weekly Socialist Revolution podcast. Now, we have something special for you this week. But before we begin, we wanted to provide our listeners with a bit of context for this episode. In the last few weeks, we have been flooded with hundreds of messages from socialists in cities across the country saying they want to join the fight for revolution. And it's been really inspiring to read these messages and also fascinating because they really give you a snapshot of how the mood is changing in society we can see a sort of cross-section of this layer of the population that is drawing revolutionary conclusions and becoming radicalized by the historical impasse of capitalism. And one of the things that's really stood out in all this correspondence has been a widespread desire for revolutionary ideas. Today, more than ever, we see an interest in Marxism and Bolshevism. Above all, People are interested in a strategy for how we can actually carry out a transformation of society. And this is a reflection of the period we're living in. One of the most important aspects of the growing socialist movement in the U.S. has been the emergence of a debate about what the goals of our movement should be and what socialists should be doing in order to achieve them. And that's precisely why we launched Socialist Revolution podcast. We want to speak to this debate and make the case that we live in a revolutionary epoch and that we should raise our horizons to achieving socialism in our lifetime and the end of capitalism. So with that in mind, in light of the growing debate and in the interest of political clarity that is so urgent in this period we're living in, we have something a little different, as I said, for this week's show. We are republishing a segment from a debate that was held in the fall of 2018 between Bhaskar Sankara, the editor of Jacobin Magazine, and John Peterson, the editor of Socialist Revolution. It was a wide-ranging discussion about the future of the socialist movement in the U.S., and in this episode, we're going to run just the first segment of the debate, starting with the question, what is socialism? And in the course of their exchange, Bhaskar and John also go into a number of other points, the Marxist analysis of the state, the question of bourgeois democracy. And I think you'll agree that it's not only an interesting exchange between the editors of two different publications, but also two different outlooks, different methods, and different programs that are being proposed as a way forward for this movement. 
These are all essential questions for socialists to consider in this period. So with that said, we hope you enjoy. Socialism has is a very broad definition. So I often think of it like um, like a kind of a rectangle and a square thing. Uh, where, uh, sorry, I've been I'm older than many of you in this room, so it's been a very long time since I learned this rule. But you know, a square is a rectangle. Yes, but <laughs> not all rectangles are squares. So in the same way, we could say that socialism came out of a workers' movement that took went in many different branches. So when someone says oh, well, you know, uh, Sweden isn't socialism. I would say it doesn't fit my vision of socialism, even Sweden in the mid-70s. But if someone wants to say that that, that branch of social democracy is, is a form of socialism, uh, I think that would be the same. I, I think that would be broadly acceptable. If someone were to say, you know, the Soviet Union um, was not socialist, I would say, well, no, it is a form of socialism. It's a... Uh, particularly authoritarian. It wasn't a very good form of socialism, but it was a form of, of socialism. Uh, I would say broadly, but you know, not one that I, that I agree with. Otherwise, I think we fall in the trap of uh, the annoying thing the libertarians do, which is say, oh, you know, this isn't capitalism. <laughs> you know, I believe in capitalism. This isn't capitalism. This is, uh, you know, a corporatocracy or whatever they want to say, right? They're inventing, constantly inventing kind of um, uh, uh, terms like that. Fundamentally, socialism to me is about extending democracy from the purely formal political sphere, of course, fighting for political rights, extending it into social and economic spheres. Uh, we want a world in which life outcomes aren't accidents of birth, where everybody can live in a basic degree of dignity, but most importantly, a world without exploitation of person by person. So fundamentally, that means a world where some people are not destined to submit themselves to the domination of other people in order to survive. So this is the fundamental goal of, of socialism. It's not uh, the idea of a worker state isn't the goal. The goal is a society in which there is no more classes. There's no bosses and workers. There's just the emancipated uh, people. And what that means in practice, how we get there is up to debate. But I think those broad sketches is kind of why vision of socialism, a world without exploitation and a world without oppression. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, no, I'm very happy to be here at Temple. Happy to see everybody out tonight uh, in this inclement weather. Uh, and I think there's a lot, obviously, that we, we agree on. And so it's, it's really great to be able to put forward, uh, you know, I would say different views on what socialism is. Uh, I, I think that the, the question of the, the kinds of reforms that we want to win, the kind of changes that we want for human society, a life without exploitation, a life of genuine dignity, a life, a world where everybody can reach their full potential, uh, the real question is, how, how can we achieve that? And I would agree that a worker's state uh, isn't necessarily the end goal. But I would argue that you need a worker's state and the end of the capitalist state, the end of the, you know, the bourgeois state, as, as, as Marxists would call it, uh, in order to begin the process of dismantling classes, the process of dismantling the state itself, the process of getting rid of, of money, of uh, you know, the withering away of, of religion, etc., um, so I would say that socialism actually begins where capitalism ends. Um, a lot of people would, in fact, call Scandinavia socialists. And obviously, as you, as you said, uh, there was some, some pretty, you know, pretty terrific reforms that were won 
by the, the labor movement in that part of the world in the post-war period. Uh, in the 1970s, the, you know, the social welfare state, welfare state was pretty, pretty sweet for a lot of people. And yet you still had the domination of the economy by the capitalists. You still had the domination of the state by the capitalists. And you still had a world in which people were being exploited. And so the question is, if we're going to move beyond that, how do we get there? And so I would define socialism as a transitional period, frankly, between uh, capitalism and uh, the stateless, moneyless, you know, religionless uh, world that many people call communism. Obviously, there's also a lot of people that would associate the word communism with, with Stalinism, with the Soviet Union, and so on. But if you look at the, the original writings of, of the scientific socialists, and I, and I think it's important for us as socialists to approach society in a scientific way, to have clear definitions and, and not have a, a mishmash of what things may mean. Um, and to clarify that, uh, if you look at that, then, then socialism, like I said, it's that transitional period between capitalism and, and, and a new form of society. So yes, we need reforms within this system. Yes, we fight for reforms within capitalism, uh, but that's not the, the goal in itself. That's uh, just a means to an end towards raising working class uh, understanding of the need for a socialist revolution. So uh, that's, what, that's what I would argue. Thank you. Um, any further thoughts on um, what John said, Bashkar, regarding? Yeah, I would say that I agree with the vast majority of it and that I think the goal has to be a socialism after capitalism, not just doses of socialism within it. I would say where I do differentiate it is that um, since the subject was brought up, I don't, I'm not a communist in my vision of the future in that I don't think, I think in other words, the vision of a withering away of the state is a, is a goal, is an aspiration, is a horizon. I don't see it practically working just in the, the sense of, let's say if, um, you know, uh, me and you want to, uh, cross a river in a social society and the primary contradiction, the contradiction of, of class has already been um overcome um but for a variety of reasons i want to build a bridge and you want to build a tunnel how do we mediate our difference how do we incorporate others into this decision making thing how, how are resources allocated how are all these things going on i think a state is still involved now if you are asking me whether i think there'll be a state that'll be mustering a standing army or throwing people into uh, you know, prison for years and years or doing all of the sorts of things that the state does today, I would say, no, absolutely not. But I, I think that there will, has to be some sort of way to mediate that difference. And I would just say in general, the reason why we can't just stop, uh, stop at vision, because there's much in um, our, our visions that we would agree with each other on. But the reason why socialism and the Marxist variety became the dominant part of the vision of the workers' movement in the late 1800s because it offered three things. So it offered one, the critique of the world as it actually is, basically saying capitalism is a system based on exploitation and inequality. So that was, that was the first thing it offered. And to be honest, anarchists and others offered it just as well as, as socialists. The second thing it offered was a vision of a world after capitalism. So in other words, you have the critique, now you're saying, but it can be better because otherwise it's just religion unless you could actually say it can be better. Um, and I, and, but that's also something that anarchists and other tendencies in the movement or even the utopian socials were able to offer a vision of a better world. But the third thing was a, a pathway. How do we get from the really bad present to the better society we want to see? And the dominant parts of the workers' movement offered a vision of the struggle for reforms, 
but the way in which the struggle for reforms would embolden and empower workers to be able to demand more and to be in a structural position to build something better. And it's that road, it's that transition of how you build power and how you transform power that Marxists of all stripes were able to offer more credibly than others. And I think that's the real point of contention. What's our vision of how we get from the present that we agree is terrible to the mutually desirable future in which we might have, let's say, 20% disagreement between us, but compared to the rest of society, like 1%, you know? Um, and, um, and you know, I, I think that's that's a real crux of any disagreement we're going to have. It's not going to be over, you know, visions of socialism. I think a lot of these things would just come down to semantics otherwise. Yeah, that's a good lead into our next question. But uh, the question of the state was brought up, and I think that's a, a good um, sort of point of differentiation and um, when we're talking about what socialism is. So I'm interested briefly, John, in a yeah, no, the question on. of the state, I think that that's crucial. Uh, you know, Engels, when he talked about the, the withering away of the state, he, he said that society, we basically have the administration of things. And I think that uh, by definition, a state implies a, a class differentiation in society. It implies the presence of exploitation, the, the existence of oppression. And if you, you know, uh, as you said, if we get to this point where we're trying to decide whether we have a bridge or a tunnel uh, and we already have no more classes, then what we'd be talking about is no longer a state in the scientific uh, Marxist definition of, of what a state is. Uh, you know, as you said, no bodies of armed men that would be standing above society. Excuse me? So that's way barian, not Marxist though. But that's what? It's an armed bodies of men. That's a way barian concept of the state though. Sure. Okay. But Engels also defined the state as armed bodies of men, as, 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 as you know, for standing above mm-hmm. society that impose the will of a minority because the capitalist class is a small group of people. They need this overwhelming force in order to cow uh, the majority into, into submission. Obviously, they use other things, not just brute force. They use tradition. They use religion. They use the media. They use everything else to try to keep uh, the social inertia going forward. But I, I would say that, that, that that's a big difference. You know, so the, the, the workers state is also transitional. And that's the question. What kind of state do you need when you have a, a majority of the population now administering things? that only need to keep a small minority of people who want to go back to the good old days of capitalism, it's very, very different from the kind of state that we have today. Um, But I do believe, I would argue that the state as such can eventually wither away when there is no need for compulsion, no need to force anybody to to do anything. Um, And and I'd be curious, I don't know if if we'll have time because there's other stuff, but when you said that the dominant part of the workers' movement, um, I'd I'd be curious, uh, you know, in the late 1800s, what, um, you know, who you would argue that was exactly. So, so yeah, I think there's two different parts of the state question, one in which we would actually agree in that my conception of the the state is kind of the instrumental conception of this, the state today is not a state we could just capture. It has to be a transformed radically. It has to be in the old language, you know, smashed because it's, you know, the, the, the state has a class bias, it's a capitalist state. And I think that that's something that differentiates us and from a lot of social democrats, even a lot of people who describe themselves as democratic socialists. So I think we agree with the state, the state now. I think the, uh, and some of what you said is kind of in Lenin's conception of the state and state and revolution. And his logic was a simple logic and, it, and not, not in a bad way. It's a simple logic in that, um, you know, uh, what he was saying was that Today, the the state is a vehicle of bloody coercion. The worker state won't be because the state today um, oversees 
the exploitation and oppression of the majority, whereas we'll just need the state to cons- control a tiny uh, minority. And I think in theory that made sense, but in practice, we needed a more complex view of what does a socialist state actually look like? What does the transition state actually look like? What does socialist jurisprudence look like? Is there is there such a thing? And there was early experiments in thinking along those lines in the early Soviet Union, and partially because they were in the middle of civil war and, and violence, mm-hmm. they weren't able to really flesh it out. But um, but it was our mistake that we haven't really um, you know made made up for. Um, you know, uh, so I, I think we need a better sense of what this. Um, what this state and what this different world would look like. And I would actually argue that we need doses of, of like liberalism, even RB. In other words, uh, I think we should, we shouldn't tell people that we're starting from year zero. We should say what we don't like and what we like about the current state of things. So for example, uh, there's a bedrock of individual rights, rights that don't facilitate the exploitation of other people, but just merely say, you know, this is the right of the individual. This is where I'm away a, a, a from the state, you know, a right to basic freedom of expression and, and, and things like that. And I think given the experience of history, we have to be, you know, very, very clear about uh, that's one reason. I'm not saying you're not presenting it, uh, but um, in general, I think socialists need a different view about what our actual state would look like and what politics would look like under under socialism, especially because I know this isn't um, the line of your organization, but most socialist organizations throughout its history, most Leninist organizations have basically adopted the view of a party state, right? They haven't said that socialism is going to be multi-party democracies and, and things like that. Um, and I think just in the same way as we don't have planter parties today arguing for a return of, of slavery, you could say that under socialism, we can't have parties advocating for wage labor or so on. But I think we just have to be clear about 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 these things to flesh it out, which obviously we don't have time for today. Any uh, any thoughts on those words by uh, Mr. Sinkar before we move on to the next question, which yeah, I think no, is, I th- uh, I thought that we're was, already heading towards, aren't we? Yeah, no, I thought that was very, very, very good and clarifying. I mean, uh, the idea that the, the state apparatus can't be taken over ready-made by the working class because it's a the bourgeois state, the capitalist state, is a state that's been designed for the rule of a minority or of a majority. So obviously we agree on that. And, and Lenin in State and Revolution, obviously he... He built on what Engels had written uh, and Marx had written in relation to things like the Paris Commune and, and things like that. Um, but I, I think, and of course, the problem with the Soviet Union is that the Soviet Union was trying to, to hold out, basically, for the German Revolution. They were holding out for the World Revolution. They never had any intention, Lenin and Trotsky or the Bolsheviks, uh, when they first, uh, the working class took power, of trying to build socialism in one country. That's an aberration that came up later under Stalin. Um, but they did, of course, have to, had to try to, from a very backwards basis, economically, politically, you know, the, the, the cultural level of the population, illiteracy, things like that. Um, they, they had to start from that very backward basis to try to, 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 to build up ultimately the, the basic forms of socialism on a backwards material basis. Uh, and that's what led to a lot of distortions and problems in that society. As far as liberalism being a part of socialism, I would actually you know, draw a pretty clear line uh, and, and disagree with that. Liberalism is a form of capitalism. It's, uh, you know, liberal, uh, you know, democracy is a, is a form of bourgeois rule. It's, in fact, a form of, of bourgeois state. I think the main difference between 
uh, the vision of liberty of Marxists, of revolutionary socialists and, and liberals is uh, liberals in favor of equality of property rights and uh, socialists, revolutionary socialists, were in favor of equality of life, economic equality, uh, social equality, political equality, um, and so on. And so absolutely, we wouldn't start from year zero. We would start from year 2018 if we succeed in bringing out about the socialist revolution by the end of the year. Uh, I doubt that's going to happen, but, but obviously we're going to start with what capitalism uh, leaves us. And of course, a lot of the political gains that were made uh, by liberalism at a time when the capitalist class was a progressive force in history, uh, we will be building on in a sense. But I think that socialism uh, will actually be a very clear break with uh, liberalism. Although, of course, I would agree. Yeah, I'm, we're absolutely, I'm personally as a member of the IMT, uh, not in favor of uh, having a one-party rule state uh, like they had in the Soviet Union. All parties that don't take up arms, for example, against the worker state agree to abide by the majority, just as we are told that we're abiding by the majority under bourgeois democracy today would be allowed to express their views if they want to you know express a you know the the idea that we should go back to the good old days of capitalism or to plantation slavery they'd be free politically to do that but i doubt they'd find many takers uh, so there'd be no need to repress them uh politically well i think i think just i know we have to go on but i think one one important point of differentiation is that i don't think that uh there's such a thing as bourgeois democracy and I don't think the democracy was a gain of bourgeois revolutions, because if it was, it'd be a very strange bourgeoisie that gets credit for the thing they fought violently against. From the revolutions of 1848 onward, and the, the great, to the great surprise of Marx and Engels and the socialists of the day, was that, in fact, the bourgeoisie didn't actually support democratization, didn't actually fight for any of these reforms. Up until uh, when 1918, 1919, when British troops were returning from the front, and a lot of them were, were ready to vote for the Labour Party, um, a, a sizable minority of them didn't even have uh, have the right to vote, even at that that late stage. The fight for in Sweden it was it was among the more um, autarkic countries in Europe, just at the level of, of suffrage, um, in which full political suffrage wasn't run until well into the, the the 20th century. So I think in all these cases, there wasn't a single time when the vote or something was just given from from above. The closest you had to that was in the U.S., where there was white male suffrage uh, earlier on. But that's that's an uh, unusual state. So I think we should reject the notion of uh, bourgeois democracy, but along with it, reject the notion that the bourgeoisie was ever progressive in a political way. They've learned to cope with democracy, and certainly we live in a capitalist society that has been tempered by democracy, in which democracy has been warped by the inequities of power that's inherent in a capitalist society. We don't live in a truly democratic society like we would want to, but I don't think any of those things came from the bourgeoisie. And when we say that the bourgeoisie was progressive, we only mean that in the sense that as an after effect of all the wealth that was created through capitalist exploitation, through the expansion of markets, that wealth has has, has um, you know, uh, the productive forces of society, the ec economies of our societies have gotten more and more wealthy, which has created the possibilities for a different political form on top of it. But we're not talking about changes made in the political sphere, in which case capitalists have never once in any instance in mass uh, supported democratic reforms or democratic uh, movements. If I could just take one minute to just wrap up that last, that last okay. point. Yeah. Uh, only to say that by by the bourgeoisie being a progressive historical force, 
I am referring, of course, to their the development of the means of production and laying the material foundations for socialism. Uh, I would say the bourgeois democracy is definitely a thing. I mean, we're we're in the city of uh, Philadelphia, we're in the city of uh, of the you know Declaration of Independence and and, and the American Revolution. Uh, but it's a question of democracy for who. When I say bourgeois democracy, I mean democracy for the bourgeois, just like in ancient Athens. Uh, not everybody, you know, they call it a democracy, but not everybody had uh, the right to vote. It was only a small minority of people. And in this country, after the revolution, it was only a small minority of, of rich, white, male property owners who had the franchise. But I, but I think that we would consider that, uh, you know, a, a form of democracy where, where decisions are made. But not very many people get a say in those decisions. Just like today, there's millions of people who are excluded because of the... Uh, uh, you know, because they're felons or whatever, uh, you don't have real genuine participation, even on a, on a, on the you know the fictive uh, you know bourgeois basis. That concludes tonight's segment of the debate. Stay tuned in the coming weeks for more on this exchange of ideas between Jacobin Magazine and Socialist Revolution. And if you want to follow more on our website, we recently published a, a balance sheet of the Sanders campaign, Bernie Sanders and the lessons of the dirty break, making the case that instead of running as Democrats, socialists should be fighting for the creation of a mass socialist party for the working class. If you agree with the ideas we're putting forward, don't hesitate to get in touch. There's never been a better time to get organized these ideas are finding an echo like never before, and our, our forces are growing. This is a, a great time for revolutionary Marxism, so join us in the fight for revolution in our lifetime. Well, like, no.